And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute and I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our Lads and Powers. This is Scott Powers with Mark Lazarus. Today we have a special guest, Stan Bowman, Blackhawks General Manager. Stan, hello. Thanks for coming on. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. <laughs> How's the voice? You've been doing a lot of talking these last couple of days. You're, you're going to be able to last for us? I think I can do a few. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously there's a lot to talk about. Um, about an hour or so ago, you guys released a press release kind of acknowledging the the, the dreaded word rebuild. Um, it, it feels like this has been in the works for longer than just the last couple of weeks. So when did you really start thinking more long-term than win now with this team? That's accurate, Mark. I think the, the thing that we tried to do today was to be more transparent with our fans and, and with yourself media uh, because you're right this isn't something that's a, a big sea change today uh, you know I, I guess you could say it started probably a year or two ago when you know the focus was more on the future than it was on the present and you know at the same time I think part of being in professional sports is you want to be as competitive as you can be in that moment in time um, but what really guides you is where you're headed as an organization. And, you know, over the last couple of years, we've added some young players and in the moves that we've made, we've been always getting younger, you know, and I think that's been the focus and, you know, we're going to continue that. That was really the message for uh, the announcement today was that we want to be more transparent with, with our fans as well as the media, be more open about where we're heading uh, but this process is underway. It has been underway. 
And we're trying to build up more depth throughout our lineup so that we can uh, be a top team in the league again. That's what we're aspiring to do. And we've got some work to do, but uh, you know, we do have some good pieces here. It's not starting from scratch. Uh, and I think there's some things to be excited about. There are young players that are already on our team that we expect to play bigger roles as we go forward. And we need more of those you know, to be a top team. It felt like not signing Corey was a sizable step in that direction. Um, at the same time, you guys had offered Corey a contract. Was there, I guess, amidst those negotiations or after you guys had offered him, decided that, you know, this is a better way not to bring Corey back and that we need to we need to go full in with that? The biggest thing with Corey was really more the, the flexibility in the contract term. So we did talk to Corey when the season ended and uh, initially we were, we were looking on a short-term basis, like one one year. Yeah, I think it's no surprise that Corey is not going to be our goalie of the future. Uh, just where he's at in his career, um, you know, he's he's at the the tail end of his career. He's still a great goalie. It was not it was not really about not thinking Corey could be an effective player for us. I think what we know that we've got to find the next goalie of the future. So if you bring Corey back for two or three seasons and one year from now, there is a, a couple of young goalies that are available. You're not in the marketplace for the goalie then because you've, you've allocated that spot to someone else for a couple of years. So, you know, the, the fact that Seattle's coming into the league, I think there's probably going to be, a, there was certainly a lot of motion this year with goaltenders <clears throat> and going forward, I think there will continue to be. So to commit, multiple years to Corey, it would be, we wouldn't have the flexibility that we think a one-year contract would offer. And that wasn't of interest to Corey. And I, I totally respect that. I understand that. I understand why. Uh, but in those discussions, we started realizing, you know, we do have these three young goalies in-house who they're around the same age that Corey was when Corey got his opportunity. And I'm not trying to compare any of them individually to Corey. I think the situation is, is a similar situation. All three of our goalies now, they were all all-stars at the American League level. Corey had some great years in the American League before he got his chance and he, he ran with it. So I think we have to give our, our goalies an opportunity to step forward. So we've got three goalies that have all shown they can be really good American League goalies. None of them have flourished at the NHL level yet. Um, but that's what we're expecting and we're hoping for. And we need that to be the case moving forward. Obviously, the the, the Crawford decision and the Saad trade right afterward, it was not received well by the, the four remaining guys of your core, Taves, Kane, Keith, Seabrook. And Taves, who's not a guy who talks out of school very often, he clearly wanted to say something in the wake of that. Um, is there a disconnect there between what your plans are and what the core wants and how do you reconcile that? What is the future? They have three years left in their contract, four for Seabrook. What does their future look like? And can they be a part of a quote-unquote rebuild? Well, I've talked to those guys since uh, Jonathan um, made his comments. And I've tried to explain to them that, that what we're doing now, it's not different than what we've been doing. You know, if you look back, this isn't really a change. I think the biggest change is that we're being more open and transparent about it. Um, so what we're trying to build up a better depth so that we can surround those players with better players 
so that they don't have to carry as much of the load as they've had to carry. And th there's a couple ways you can do that, Mark. We could go out and sign veteran players. We could do that. that that's, a, that's a possibility. There's not a lot of flexibility with the cap situation being flat for at least the next couple of years, potentially more. You know, we, we don't know. We know for two years it'll be flat. Could be beyond that. Uh, so <clears throat> investing in veteran players on uh, higher contracts, it gives us less and less flexibility as we move forward. We're actually trying to do the opposite. We're trying to get more flexibility. We haven't been a team that's had a lot of flexibility, and we've been a team that's been chasing it for a long time. We've been up at the top of the cap, and we've allocated a lot of money to a smaller number of players. So we've, we've got to change that moving forward. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of everybody. It just means that we, we need to transition to having more young players. It's no secret, the younger players have lower contracts. We want to invest in those so that some of them can grow up to be important impact players. So back to your original point, there's not really a disconnect of where we're going. We're going the same place we were going nine months ago. Um, that's not the change. The change is we're being more open about where we're going. We're calling it out more so. How, how do you, uh, if I can jump in, Scott, how do you square the idea of this, of, of what you, of everything you just said with the sod trade where you went and you acquired a veteran? Nikita Zadar, he's 25. He's been in the league a while. He's a veteran. You didn't really save any money on the deal. Um, and you didn't get a pick and you didn't really get any significant prospect out of it. How does that trade was there just no market for sod at all would have been would you have been able to hold on to him till the deadline and see if you could have gotten a first or a second round pick out of him how did that sod trade develop and, and what was the thinking behind it sure i'll, I'll explain that in, in detail um so so brandon was in the last year of his contract and he'd be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the contract so with where he's at six million dollars that was not a player that we were gonna continue on after this year for for the reasons i just talked about trying to get more flexibility. We're trying to get uh, younger players. So uh, for me, 25-year-old defenseman is young. I guess you have a different take on that. But he's, you know, most most players really come into their own as defensemen between 23 and 30. That, that's kind of the prime age for a defenseman. Um, you have no look different than C Seabrook and Keith. I'm not sure that they played a playoff game till they were 25. You know, that, that's really when their careers took off. So for me, 25-year-old defenseman is not old by any means. He's got more years. Ahead. It's not like he's a, a UFA after one season. He's a player that has a much more road ahead of him. And the skill set that Nikita brings is, is pretty unique to the league. And the, the benefit for us is we've got two young, right-handed, skilled, smaller defensemen that have offensive ability in Ian Mitchell and Adam Boquist. And we think that by bringing Nikita in, we're going to help accelerate their progression and their growth to make a bigger impact on our team. If we didn't have Zadorov, we would have somebody else playing with them. But I think he gives us the best chance to help maximize. So we already have these two players, Mitchell and Boquist, who we have a lot of hopes for. And they've Certainly Adam's case has shown a lot of promise as a 19-year-old defenseman in the NHL. But I think partnering him with someone like Zadorov is going to really help his game. So 
you, you certainly possible. There's nothing wrong with getting draft picks. I'm not in future trades. If we can get draft picks, that's fine. There's, I'm not opposed to that idea, but the, the, the draft pick route, it's a longer game. You know, those players are, you're going to draft the player in 2021. They'll probably help you 23, 2024. And, you know, like I said, we have some really good pieces right now. We don't have enough of them. So to me, it, it's not like the only way to approach it is to get a draft pick. Um, I'm fine with getting draft picks in future trades that that's might be the way it plays out. Um, but you know, there's inherent risk to keeping a player and assuming that you'll trade him at the deadline for a draft pick players get injured. It happens every year. Players performance can, can wax and wane. There's no guarantee that just because you think you're going to get value X at next year's trade deadline, may or may not come to be the teams that you're typically trading players to at a deadline are cup contenders that are going to be picking late first round, you know, in the 25 to 30 range. Uh, so that value is different. If you're going to get a top five pick, you know, for someone like Saad, that the value is much, much different. Those trades at, at the deadline are typically not that way. It's a, it's a prospect. And a, if it is a first round pick, it's a late first round pick. So, and there's nothing wrong with that. That that those are appealing deals as well. We may do some of that in the future, uh, but in this case, I think we have a high hope that Zadorov is going to bring an element to our team that we haven't had for a while with his skill set. You know, he's he's a tough kid. He's a really tough kid. Doesn't back down from anybody. Plays a defensive game, um, and I think he's a really good partner for these young defensemen that we want to take that next step forward. Did, did you consider Cuckoo or Mata as, as options there? You know, at least analytically, they, they seem to drive the possession. At least this past season, they drove it better than even Zadorov and around that same 25, 26-year-old range. Where did, uh, and arguably, they're probably your best defenseman pairing, you know, from January on. Where did they sort of fit into how you were thinking about things? Uh, we, we talked about them. Sure. Yeah. It's not so much the age that was a problem with, with those two players, but we do need to open up some spots. Like in our mind, we, we think Sidora brings a much different element than, than those two bring. Um, to me, it's not really a comparison as far as the, the, the style of play. The, the, there's very few players in the NHL that play the, the type of game that Sidora brings with his, not only his size and physicality, but his willingness to play that game. And he doesn't back down from anybody. I think that's an element that we were missing that, you know, a lot of these other names you're bringing up, they don't bring that to the table. So, you know, we're trying to not block out our young players. We want to give them an opportunity. And when I say that, it's important to mention at this point that part of investing in young players is giving them the ability to grow into that role. And, you know, one of the things we said was it's not going to be perfect all the time with these young players. There's going to be times when they struggle. There's going to be times when they come out of the lineup. There's going to be times when they may have to go to the minors and that's okay. I think that's something that we haven't explained well enough that that's part of the development. It's not just a straight line forward. And if a whether it's Ian Mitchell or Kalnuck or anyone up front, Pew Suter, any of these guys, if they have to miss some games because they're not quite there, that's okay because the idea is to, to show progress. We take them out, we give them feedback, we let them work on areas where they're not strong. We, 
put them back in, give them another chance. And they may go along good for a bit, and then they hit a, a rough spot. They come out of the lineup. We've been doing that, and I think it it gets met with a lot of uh, questions. As I know, Kubalik sat out last year, and but if you look at what ended up happening, it really did help his game. He became a really important play for, player for us. But there was a process he went through. That's okay. That's what's going to happen. We're, we're committed to doing that going forward. It's, it's not just one player. If he doesn't play every game, he's a failure, and this was a bad idea, and this guy's never going to make it. These young players need the opportunity to grow their games. And I think that's something that we have to explain. We have to do a better job of explaining it, and we have to see it unfold. The idea is that we're going to have those players take steps. So we saw it last year with a couple players. It wasn't perfect for Adam Boquist. It wasn't, it wasn't just a straight line. He got better. Every game was better than the last one. I thought he, all in all, though, I thought he took some big steps forward for a young defenseman. We need him to now take more steps forward. And he may need some feedback as we go forward. That's all part of the process. So this commitment to getting young players time, that's obviously going to have to come at the expense of someone. Uh, what does this mean for Andrew Shaw, for Brent Seabrook, both of whom are coming back from significant injuries, who are on the, uh, you know, a little long in the tooth these days? I mean, can Brent Seabrook be your number seven? Will he be okay with that? Would Jeremy Carlton be comfortable with that? Would the uh, locker room be okay with that? How do you put Andrew Shaw on the lineup or Zach Smith if he, when he becomes healthy ahead of a, you know, I don't know, Philip Kurashev or any of these young guys who have coming up? How do you square that? How do you make that work? It, it doesn't have to. I guess what I'm saying, Mark, is it, it's not as binary as you're making it sound. You're assuming that every player is healthy and playing well. And so we've got 15 forwards. They're all playing really well at the same time. In that, in that situation, your question is a fair one. But that's not the way this work, world ever works. There's always players that are on top of their game, that are struggling, that get injured. We need a lot of players. We need So, so, so if Andrew Shaw is playing well and he's healthy, he's going to play then? Sure. Okay. Sure he's going to play. Yeah. I mean, it's not that we're trying to say certain players will play, other players won't play. That's going to play itself out. That's not something we need to roadmap in October. I think that's my point. As we get to the season, let's just see what happens. We know that we want young players to – doesn't mean that we have to have all players on our team, all 12 forwards being under the age of 22. It's, it's not that. It's not – just all young players or all veterans. It's we're trying to build a better depth of our team. The more players we have that are able to help us, if, if we develop from underneath and we have guys pushing up, and, and that's a good thing. So it, it's not as sort of A or B, which is the way you're trying to paint it. Well, the, the Seabrook situation, though, you have to acknowledge is a little different. It's a little dicier. I mean, just before he decided to have the surgeries last year, just a couple of healthy scratches – and it became a thing in the locker room. You know, Duncan Keith wasn't happy about it. Jonathan Taves wasn't happy about it. Uh, did this go into your discussions with these core guys in the last week about what roles might be going forward? And do you have to kind of gauge what, you know, what they're going to be comfortable with? Well, yeah, I think part of it when we talk to those guys is explaining to them that there is a role for them on this team. The role may be different than it was four years ago, but it doesn't mean that the role doesn't matter or it's not important to the progress of our team. So, and it's not saying that this is only a group of young players. The next time we're the best team in the league, it's just going to be 
all young players. That's not at all what I'm saying. There can be a third option, which you're painting it as one option or the other option. And the third option is we're developing young players. They're going to develop at different rates. So it's hard to know today who's going to be our sixth defenseman every night. It's going to change as we go and we'll manage as we go. But our focus is on trying to give young players bigger opportunities because those players can grow into players for many years to come, not just one or two seasons. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It felt like a year ago that you guys were bringing along young players and you sort of had the security blanket of of Leonard and, and Crawford and and obviously put so much money in to have that goaltending. And, and now it seems like you have more youth that can play, but there's this big question mark where Delia Lincoln and or Subban might be players, but there's also a chance that they might not be NHL goalies. Like, are you at all concerned that, you know, like it's just it's, it's throwing three guys out there that might not be ready for this or might not, you know, ultimately be good enough for this? Well, at some point they do have to get the opportunity. So, you know, if they were here behind a established number one, we we would still be wondering where they were a year from now. So you're right. At some point you have to take that chance and give them the opportunity to do it. And we have three guys, like I said, that have really shown that they're, they've been very um, efficient at their play at the American league level. They haven't established themselves the only one that's really been given any kind of a chance has been Subban. I mean, Lankin and Delia haven't given a chance to show what they can do. And Subban's time in Vegas was mostly he was behind Fleury. I mean, Fleury was the number one guy. You know, he would get kind of the, the back-to-back starts, but he never got really much of an opportunity to prove that he could be an NHL goalie. So for, for all goalies, there comes that moment when they are given the opportunity. Sometimes it happens by happenstance when a a number one or the top two goalies get injured and a guy gets ushered in and you've got no choice. Um, And sometimes it happens this way. You know, it's it's not that much different than Columbus a year ago. They let Bobrovsky go. They had Merz Lickens had never played a game and Corpus had played about as many games as, as Subban had, you know, 50, 60 games in there. And, you know, a year later, they've got two pretty good young goalies that it's hard to tell which one's better. So, it's not like this is an unheard of approach. It's un, it's uncommon, I guess, amongst the way it's going, but I still think we have to see what we have in these guys. We do need to find the next goalie of our future. And we want to see if it can be one of these three guys. 
The flip side of that, Columbus is a terrific defensive team. They they supported those goaltenders. Statistically, from a number of statistical viewpoints, the Blackhawks were the worst defensive team in the league the last couple of years. Do you worry about putting young goalies, untested goalies behind a defense like that that could really get into their psyche and maybe you can't get a good evaluation on them? And do you have to fundamentally change the way this team plays? Can Jeremy Colleton do that to make this the kind of team that can support a young, inexperienced goalie? Well, we have to be better defensively. That's that's fair to say. I think there's no question about that. I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past. I think part of it is uh, a better team approach to the defense. It's not just on the six defensemen on the ice. Um, and, you know, some of the moves we made are are looking in that direction. And we brought in Yanmark and Walmark who, you know, they have uh, probably a little bit better puck management than some guys do in their – they're uh, competitive guys that bring uh, a different mentality to the table. And that's something that we need to get going throughout our lineup of forwards, not just through a couple guys who take pride in managing the puck better. You know, we, we are, there's a trade-off. We certainly were a dangerous team when we had the puck dangerous, both ways. We create a lot of things, but we also tried a lot of uh, plays when they don't work. They put, the rest of the guys on the ice in a compromised position. And, you know, that comes from a willingness to, to manage the puck better. And it goes for everybody. It's not just for the third and fourth line players, the, the guys who, who play the offensive roles, you need them to have that balance of, of scoring and creating offensive opportunities, but also being a little bit better where they, you know, put their teammates in a better spot. So, no question we have to be a better team defensively. Part of that's on the goaltenders, uh, but part of it and part of it's on the defensemen. Um, but we feel like the the new players that we have in the mix are pushing us in that direction. But it's not just those Zadorov and Yanmark and Walmart. We need the guys that were here. We need them to to be a little bit more committed. And and when I say that, I think the players want to make things happen because they, they want to make the team better by scoring. So it's not, it's not that they're selfish or that they're doing bad things. They have the right intention. It's just sometimes the risk is not um, the risk reward decisions aren't always the best. And that's something that I think up and down our lineup, we can do a better job of. Mark, I mentioned Smith and Shaw. Do, do you know what their status is? Do you expect them at the season statue in January, they'll be ready. I don't know on Shaw just because with concussions, it's really tough to predict. Uh, I mean, I just, I've heard that he said he's feeling great and he's hopeful to play. Uh, I don't have any new information on that. I think, you know, Andrew's probably the best guide there as far as if he's ready to play. So I'll, I'll defer to Shaw on that. Uh, Zach Smith was not ready when we reconvened in the summer to go to Edmonton for the playoffs. Uh, and he's still not cleared, but I would anticipate by the time the season starts that he would be healthy. Uh, but he, he's still got some progress to make, but uh, he's come a long way, and I think it's he's nearing the point where he'll be healthy. Of those young guys, you you mentioned Suter and Mitchell and Kelnick. Are there guys you'd like to prioritize, guys that you'd like to see uh, by, by opening those spots that you're giving opportunities this year, other than I guess the guys we saw last season. Uh, 
Well, I, there's a lot of guys, so I don't want to leave guys out. I mean, Bodan got the one game in, but I, I thought he was really coming on late in that season as well. Uh, and Lucas Carlson was up. So th- there's a lot of names there. Even Alec Regula was in the bubble with us. I think, you know, they're not all going to play right, right away. Um, but I think we have to see how that plays out and see which guys are closest to being contributors. That's up front or that's on the back end. Uh, up front, I think Suter is the, he's the oldest of that group. You know, he's been playing professionally, but it's been in, in Switzerland. So we'll, we'll see if there's any adjustment needed. Um, and then we've got a lot of young players. Someone mentioned Kurashev earlier. I thought he had a really good second half as well. Um, you know, there's some other young players, uh, Entwistle, Hagel got one game in, um, probably leaving some guys out. I don't, we're not prioritizing and trying to push one person ahead of the other one. I think the reason Mitchell is up there is because I think Ian, he would have made our team a year ago. I think, you know, he's, he's pretty far along in his development, having been in college for three years. So I think he's coming, same thing with Kalnuck. Now they've both done a little bit more development than some of these guys have. So uh, but we have to see. We have to see how they react when they're put in the position to be in the lineup. And uh, that's something that I'm not too concerned which guy it is. I don't, we don't have a favorite. It's whoever's ready to play the most is going to be there. Scott loves talking about the prospects. I tend to dwell on the old guys. I just want to get some clarification. Um, Kane, Taves, Keith, each have three years left on their deal. Seabrook has four. They obviously hold all the cards. They have complete full no movement clauses. They they you can't do anything without their permission. Do you expect them to be in this for the long haul? Do you expect them to play out their contracts? Do you want them to play out their contracts? Would it help you if they would waive their no movement clauses? That's something that would interest you to gauge the market on some of these guys. I think they have a lot of value, Mark. I, I do. I think they have a lot of value to our team, I should say. I think they have a lot of value to our team um, to help us. Like they're still good players and you know, they, they certainly understand what it takes to win, you know, but the, the league is changing, right? There's more and more young players. Like when they came up, they were more the anomaly. They were the young guys who came right into the lineup. You know, Jonathan went back to college after his draft for one year. Patrick came right in. If you go back and look at it, that was pretty unusual. It wasn't unheard of, but it was not common for that to happen. Uh, you guys had to work their way up. Dunk had two full seasons in the minors. Um, Siebes also came right in. So, but I think those guys came up in a different era. The NHL today is different. These young players, like I've been describing, um, they get opportunities quicker than those veterans did. And that's something that I've talked to them about. And I think, you know, they, it doesn't always compute in their mind because they think back to when they were that age, they, they weren't handed opportunities. But because the sport is changing, you need more and more young players as part of your team, the cap is, is flat. So young players don't make a lot of money and that's how you make the mathematical puzzle work. So your original question though was, yes, I think that they can be of, of huge value to us as we go forward, because we're trying to surround them with better players to help our team be better and to be able to compete against the really deep teams. I think we showed that, we can we can hang with every team over a long series again. I mean, the, the games against Vegas, it's not like we were blown out of the water, but they were just they there were there were moments in those games in that series 
where for a five to eight to 10 minute stretch of the game, they would take over and they would score a goal or two. And, and then the rest of the game, it was pretty even. So it's not like we were way outclassed, but we need to build more depth. Like I think Vegas has a pretty good depth up and down their lineup, their defensemen, their forwards. We want to build that up. And I think those, when that happens, we will be surrounding the veteran players with, with more options, which should make their jobs easier. So, yes, I think there's value in them being here, understanding what it takes to win. I don't envision our team ever being all young players or all veteran players. It's going to skew to the younger side with some veteran players to help guide those guys. So just to pin you down on that, there, there's been no discussion about asking them to waive their no movement clause, anything like that. You're, you're not intending to explore that option anytime soon. Not right now. I am not. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I think a lot of us agree that this is probably the path forward. Like this is where the future success comes from. When when you look at that last offseason, when you guys put as much term as you brought on with Dahan and Mata and Smith and Sean Carpenter, are, are there any regrets of that? Knowing I, I guess just the, the how much money you guys put in there and how much term you got there, and and, and I mean obviously now we've seen Mata leave, and and I, I guess the unknowns about Smith and Shaw with injuries, but just. Uh, are, are there any regrets how you went about last offseason? Yeah, I think when guys are hurt, it's hard. It's kind of an incomplete. They didn't really get a chance to contribute very much, you know, with with their in and out of the lineup and not playing a big role. And Calvin as well. I mean, Calvin got hurt too. So, But I think you, you do need some veterans. Like, I, I don't know that any team in the NHL is going to be successful with just going with top to bottom guys under the age of 25. So – uh, I think, you know, the, the focus going forward, it, it's slightly different because we do have enough veterans now that we don't need to be adding more. Um, I think the focus from this point, as we move forward and look at our team, we're going to be looking to give those opportunities to young players as opposed to bringing in guys. Um, and if we do bring in veterans, like we, we brought in, Yanmark is he's 27. But it's on a shorter term, so we have uh, we have flexibility. I think that's something that's important as we move forward with with our, our cap situation. It's it's looking pretty good right now. I think a year from now it'll look even better. We'll have more flexibility, and that's important. Having the ability to pivot and be in the marketplace for other teams that are trying to. Uh, move out players that they can't afford any longer. Like that's happening right now. There's players available from you guys can probably figure out which teams they are um, that they're just looking for you to take these players, but we're still not quite set up well enough to have that cap flexibility. We're, we're pretty close. And I think a year from now, we'll be able to take advantage of some teams because uh, you, you look at it, there's a handful of teams that are, they're going to be up against it for the next couple of years because they've got, they're already at the cap. They've got a few young players that are going to need new contracts. The cap's not going up. Something has to give. It'd be nice for us to be able to be on the other end of that. And we haven't been a team in that marketplace, but we're, we're getting closer to where we could be in that. Was there any consideration last offseason to kind of go shorter term where it feels like some of the cap restraints now are – based on what you guys did last offseason by bringing on all those players with term? As far as what? 
Like no, I just, I mean, it seemed like last off season there might have been a better opportunity to even go shorter term with some guys and then be able to create cap space going forward. And it feels like some of the obstacles you have now are based on what you guys did last off season. Well, I guess that yes and no. I mean, I would say Calvin Hahn, you know, he he was a pretty good player for us and, until he got hurt, and then when he came back, he was pretty good. So I don't, I wouldn't look at that as a as a, a regrettable thing. I think the other guys just got hurt. So it's sure it, uh, you could say it would have been better if we would have known that they weren't going to be healthy. You, you could look at it differently, but I mean, the Smith thing was more, that was a trade where we actually saved money with, with an Isimov. So I don't, I don't necessarily look at that as, as a, a player that we added money. We actually saved in that transaction, you know, in moving an Isimov out we were trying to get some of our financial picture better, which it worked. It's just that, that Smith got hurt. Stan, you and I have talked a little bit about this in the past about, I, I, I don't know if you have a Twitter burner account, but you know what's being said out there. You know the fan angst right now. I mean, I can't tweet about the Bears or Shit's Creek without getting a hashtag fire Stan response from somebody out there. Uh, so to, to that, you know, to that online sense right there, I mean, the way the last few years have gone, kind of treading water outside the playoff bubble, how do you tell them that you're the right guy to lead this, to continue leading this after maybe a few years of Taves and Kane and Keith and their prime has been kind of squandered these last four years? What's your pitch that you are the right guy to lead this? I don't know if that's my – I'm not trying to make a pitch, Mark, to, <laughs> to satisfy people. I think uh, looking back in time, yeah, our team was at the top for a long time, and I think we um, – we're not the team that we were from, you know, the, the stretch of years when we were an elite team. And, you know, there, there's always going to be a transition phase at some point. And uh, could we have managed it better? Sure. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect or that every decision we made was the right decision. Um, but I think what you're trying to do is, um, you know, decide when you can pivot and it's it's never in the moment as simple as it looks in hindsight. So not every decision we made panned out. So that that's on me. I, I accept responsibility that some of the decisions th that you make for the right reasons don't work out. So that that's part of this business. But I think you know, certainly for the last year to two years, we've been taking a focus to try to invest in young players, and I think that's our path forward is to give these guys a chance to develop and surround and support the players that we do have that have left or left over from that, the last group of elite teams. Um, you know, the, the NHL today is it's changed a lot from where it was five, six, seven years ago. And I think, you know, we can show progress maybe quicker than um, some people might think. And, we showed last year we're not we're not the team that we want to be, so I want to I want to make sure that I'm clear we're not satisfied, but at the same time we do have some good things going for us. It's not like we're starting from scratch, and we have you know a fair number of young players that we've incorporated already: Brinkett, Doc, Boquist, and as we go forward, we need to surround them with more, and I think that process has begun. So if it's not an answer specifically to your question and I'm not here to try to convince people. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I mean, that, but I think it's fair to say that 
we have to do a better job of explaining what we're doing. And this, this is, to me, this is the starting point. Hopefully we're going to have more conversations like this going forward so that like a lot of the times things that are said, you get them wrong and it's not even your fault for getting it wrong because you don't have all the information. Now, you know, when I say you get it wrong, you can have a, having a different opinion than me, that's not getting it wrong. But some of the things that you, some of the things that are explained, you do explain them in the wrong way. But that's really because you don't have all the information. I, I need to do a better job of communicating it to you. You can still say, okay, based on all that, I still think that's the wrong decision. That's, that's okay. But I think going forward, we can hopefully do a better job of maybe um, uh, lessening some of the angst if we can explain it a little bit better. Is that something that's come from Danny Words? This is this whole like you, you doing this podcast and doing another podcast and doing hour long sit downs with various outlets. This is not very black hockey. Let's face it. Over the eight years I've covered this team, it's been a little bit more secretive. Not secret is the wrong word. I don't mean to imply oh, it's nefar- nefarious, mean. but you know, right. it's it's everything's internal and you don't openly discuss the process and things like that. And you know, access is granted bits bits and pieces at a time. Is this like an organizational thing where you realize that? because of that angst that this is something that you want to do more of? And is that, is that a Danny Wirtz initiative? I don't know if it's because of the angst. I think it's more the world that we're living in today. I think it just works better. I think when there's better communication and I think the fans, they've never been more informed than today. If you compare today to 2010, there's just a lot more information and for better or uh, worse. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but I think we can do a better job. So yeah, Danny's certainly spearheading it, but I'm in favor of it as well. I think it's better. Uh, I think it's better for everybody if you understand the context of it. Because when when we make decisions for for the the organization moving forward, there is a an awful lot of thought that goes into it. There still can be mistakes made, but I think there there is um, there's a lot of backstory as to how we arrive to where we arrive at. And I think if we can let you into that process more, not just yourself, but the fans. Ultimately. No, just me, nobody else, just me. <laughs> just you, you. <laughs> um, I, I think it will be, I think it will be better for everybody. I mean, I, I think we can do a better job of that. I can do a better job. And I, I think I'm optimistic that it will help the process. Do you have a rough idea of when you think, I guess, materializes, like when you guys get to the point where you want to be, I guess, is there a rough timeline for that? Uh, that's a fair question, Scott. Um, uh, I think I don't have a, a, an exact answer, but I'll, I'll say it this way. I, I do think my mountain analogy is coming back. So we were at the top of the mountain for a while, and then we dropped. And I believe we're already headed back up that mountain. We've still got a ways to go, but I think we are on our way back to being at the top. I don't think we are still heading down to where we're going to continue to bottom out. Um, but the, the path forward, it's like we tried to say in this letter, it, it's not going to, it's not going to be perfect going forward. There's going to be some things that we get right. Some things that we get wrong. There's going to be some players who their progression is not just a straight line. Like Kirby's improvement last year, as much as I would love that to be the model, I think, he had a pretty rapid acceleration from being a guy in November and December that played 10 minutes to a guy a couple months later was up leading our team in ice time. 
I don't think that's the, the progress for most young players. Kirby's pretty unique and pretty special. There's a reason he was drafted where he was. I think those players can make that rapid ascension to becoming an impact player. With a lot of these other guys, the, it, the runway is going to be longer. And, and we need to explain that to you. We, when it happens, like when a guy has some struggles, doesn't mean he's a failure. It doesn't mean it's, he's a bad player and he's never going to get there. What it means is he's not there yet. And we've got to do our job to give him the feedback. Maybe it means playing him more. Maybe it means playing him less. Maybe it means sending him to the minors. We have to be willing to do all those things and it has to be okay. It can't be looked upon as a quick judgment failure because I think we're in the process of developing these, these guys to surround the veterans that we have so that our team can be better. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Over the last several years now, you've really stockpiled former number one draft picks, first round draft picks from other teams, going back to, you know, Connor Murphy and Brendan Perlini, Dylan Strom, uh, Nylander, Subban, Zadorov. A lot of these guys have high pedigree and were inconsistent in the NHL. Is that is that a conscientious thing? Like, you know, these guys have the talent. They were first round picks and you just have you see maybe the change of scenery or what it is about that, that you want to stockpile those kinds of guys and hope that they take that next step with Chicago. Uh, well, that's part of it. I, I, we don't single them out just because they're first rounders, but I think the common thread there is these guys were accomplished players and they have a lot of things going for them. And there may be something that didn't quite click or situationally for where they were, they had super high expectations. They didn't meet it right away and there was some negativity and they needed a change. So that that's part of it with some of these guys. I think, uh, you know, we need guys to to take the next step. And those players who were first-round picks were usually drafted there because they demonstrated something in their years leading up to the draft that made them stand out. And we're trying to tap into that and work on the areas which maybe aren't quite there, and that's why they've had to change teams. So, um, you know, that that's something that, I guess it's fair to say, you know, most of the, the first round players have a better opportunity than others because they've shown uh, a pedigree in the past. So, uh, but we're, we're not shy from looking at guys that, that didn't have that as well. I think it, it, you know, Shaw comes to mind as a guy who you know, wasn't even drafted until his third year of the draft. So I guess you can build a team a lot of different ways. Um, but to answer your question, I, that is something that, um, we look for is guys that have an element that maybe 
has been untapped or uh, he needs a new environment to get the more out of him. Is, is there a way to better balance, I guess, development, whether you're doing it at NHL or in Rockford, where I know last year you guys decided to bring Boquist up and and he stayed up the whole time and the development was there and Doc had to stay up because of his age. But then Nylander, you guys kept up and, you know, maybe could have used the AHL. And it sounds like Mitchell, you guys want to bring up and, and develop there. Like, how do you how do you balance where to develop them, whether they're ready for the NHL or whether, I guess, how do you want to utilize Rockford in, in the development process for some of the younger guys? Uh, well, it, look, it, there's no question. It's a, it's tough. The NHL is not traditionally a developmental league. That's the American league. So I understand that. And that's really our focus. So we treat Rockford uh, as our true, I always call it, it's like an academy down there. The most important thing is for those players to get the opportunity to get the feedback to have a chance to fail. And when they succeed, it's great. When they fail, they get more feedback. And, you know, the result is not as important at the American League level. Winning is always great, whether at the American League or the NHL. The NHL is more, we're here to win. Um, But at the same time, like I said a little bit earlier, the NHL has transformed in the last five or six years. And it's really a function of the salary cap. So, What's happened now that the, the cap's been in place for a number of years is you're seeing that, you know, there, there's kind of the haves and the have-nots. Like the, the players that are successful, accomplished, they get a lot of money. And when the cap doesn't continue to rise, something has to give. So you have to have – you have to surround those high price players with lower price players. So you can do that one of two ways. You can do it with – veterans who are there's veterans right now in October looking for jobs that haven't gotten signed that you could get for low prices. Um, But they typically are on the other end of it where they've been in the league. Maybe they're more on the decline. They're trying to just get their foot back in the NHL, Um, but they're inexpensive. And the other part is young players. They're also inexpensive. So we've chosen to go, with the young players, because we think instead of bringing in a 29 or 30 year old guy right now for $900,000, we could do that. And they may be more ready to help our team in the here and now than Ian Mitchell. But that player is, doesn't have as much runway ahead of them. And even if they do have one good season, then they're going to go command more money all of a sudden, because that's, the way the system works. So the younger players are where we think we want to invest in a number of them so that we have the depth around our lineup. And it's, it's a function of the system that the league is, is, is in 2020. That's how our system is, is built. And we're just reacting to the way that system is. And I think the path forward is young players. So ideally it's, it's not, you don't want to be developing all of your players in the NHL. It's a tough league for development. So I, I think we've got to be careful not to just have all young guys. That, that's what I've tried to make clear. There, there has to be that mixture of guys who maybe need some more time and the NHL is not the right place for their development. And if they go to Rockford, that's fine. But at the end of the day, we want to give those opportunities more so to young players than old players. Speaking of, of the money side of things, obviously there's a lot of lost revenue from last season, some home games that never happened. Um, we don't know what next season's going to look like, but it's certainly not going to be 41 home games at this point. And who knows if there'll be fans in the building at all. Um, there's been 
pay cuts in the Blackhawks. There's been layoffs among the Blackhawks. Is that starting to approach hockey operations in any way? Is there anything that's going to affect hockey ops in terms of the budget that you have to work with? Have you heard anything from Rocky about that? No, no. Rocky's been great about that. That's not been, it's not a cost cutting situation. It's more a reality. I think, you know, we've, we've got to try to be innovative and do things to, in response to that. So I think, you know, the draft is a good example of the fact that we put a lot of emphasis on the video, like partially out of necessity, there, there weren't as many games to scout. You know, once we hit March last year, we had, there was a critical part of the season where just the games weren't played. So we had to go back and watch the video. And I think in the process, we realized we can do a good job. Like the, the video scouting, it's not, you don't want to replace in-person viewings, but you can accomplish an awful lot through the video. And I think we've gotten very familiar with this type of technology with our staying in touch with our staff. You don't have to have as many in-person meetings. We had countless scout meetings, which in the past, if you're going to have a meeting where you've got 20 people get together in Chicago, this is a sizable expense for that. There's still time to do it, but we can now have more meetings and we can have them weekly. And I think we we might find you know a silver lining in this whole situation where the, te- the using technology in a better way um, is cost conscious, but also um, it's responsive to the the world in 2020 and how do we how do we make ourselves better do you have any sense of what the season might look like has there been any talks is chicago in the talks for maybe kind of some kind of bubble situation no we uh we have a gm meeting coming up uh later this week or next week where i hope to get some info uh it, we usually have a november gm uh meeting of uh, it's usually in person in, in toronto uh Obviously, that's not going to happen. So I think this is going to be the surrogate for that. And I'm hopeful that we're going to get some info. But I I haven't heard anything. So uh, you guys know as much as I do on that. Do you see this as kind of the end of the offseason for you? I mean, other than I I suppose Strom's contract uh, to work out? Yeah, I I wouldn't expect us to be active with free agents going forward. You know, I think we've got um, some of the names we've talked about here. We've we've got a pretty good... uh, potential group of players we have enough uh we don't need to add new bodies on forward or d we've got the three goalies that we're going to give the chance to so if anything it would be more uh, trade related if there's discussions on potential trades so uh nothing really is close on that either though but i think that would be if there's going to be more transactions over the next couple months it might be some type of more of a probably a lateral trade you know need for need um but uh, right now, that that's probably unlikely. Um, Jeremy Colton's entering the last year of his contract. Is that something that you need to work, discuss with him or, or uh, going forward there? Uh, yeah, we haven't done anything with that yet, Mark. But uh, we obviously with the announcement today, and you know, with the, we had the draft, and we had free agents, and then we had a lot of conversations around being more transparent. So now, once we get past all of that, I think that's something that we'll talk about. I mean. Jeremy plays a big part in where we're headed here. I think his strongest attribute as a coach is his connection with the younger players and maximizing, um, getting the most out of players. If, if that was something that appealed to me when I you know, first met him when he was in Sweden, you know, looking at what he did with the group of players there that were 
you know, essentially an underdog group. And he took them not only he won the championship, he moved his team from the lower level to the, the top level in Sweden. Um, but they did it with uh, some of a limited talent group. And I think he, he's got that, uh, that talent and that skill set to connect with younger players and get them to maximize their potential. And then he came to North America. He was in Rockford. And even that first year in Rockford, you know, it wasn't the most star star studded group, but he took them to the, the conference finals that year. Uh, you know, he made, uh, he took, uh, there were some older guys on that team, but I think, you know, it wasn't really the most high skill, high talent group. And he really, uh, he made the most of that. So I think uh, as we go forward, he's going to play a bigger role in our reliance on young players. And um, I think he's really good at the communication part and the feedback part. So, you know, the idea is you, you meet with a player, you, you try to identify his weaknesses and you give him the opportunity. If he doesn't do it, you give him another opportunity, doesn't do it. You pull him out, you work with them. You say, here's what we need you to do. Put him back in. And, you know, that happened with some of our players last year. And, you know, I think there was Kubalik is a, is a good example. I think you know, he really took the feedback. Well, he wasn't scratched a lot. Um, and, but look at what, look at where it took him. So I think, that's part of this process. I think Jeremy's excellent at that. He's great. We always talk about him with the young players, and it's great. Do you feel he has that buy-in and that respect from the older players too? Does he, you know, a couple of the guys have been critical about, you know, a decision to go to seven defensemen one day or change the lineup here. The kind of criticisms we never heard when Joel Quenville was around. Do you feel that he's got command of that room fully, not just the young guys? Well, I think it's a, it was a change for those guys. I think that was something that probably doesn't get talked about enough, like, it's it's very unusual slash unheard of for four or five players to play for the same coach for 10 years in a row. Number one, coaches don't last that long in any sport any, any longer. And number two, they um, players don't stay with one team that long. Like I think so we had sort of those two very uh, unusual situations happen at once. And as a result, um, wh- whenever a new coach came in that had a different uh, approach it was going to take it was an adjustment so um i'm sure it wasn't easy for them uh, like but it's not that they're uh fighting it i think it's it's an adjustment for for anybody and, and no matter who that new coach was someone different than Joel, they had been together with the same coach who they they could have done the practices with their eyes closed everything was the exact same for years so we had a lot of the same players now it's it's different, so it takes some adjusting, and I think we're we're much further along in that adjustment than you know. And I think maybe everyone underestimated how hard that would be. Not even that they were unwilling to to change. It's just it's hard when you play one way for so long, and you have the same teammates for so long. Anytime that changes, it there's going to be an adjustment. Well, there's two or two years in now. I mean, isn't it on the players at this point that you know, if they haven't figured it out, if they haven't bought in, that's on the players a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's not. A, I think it's that's where maybe there's some misunderstanding. It's not a lack of buy-in. It's when when you have to form new habits. I think what, what we saw early on with Jeremy that first year was you can't play hockey when you're thinking. Like you can't. You have to play by reaction because everything happens too quickly. So. If you're trying to do the right thing, but you're thinking and you're just a step off, 
one guy on on the ice of so you could have four guys that are playing exactly the way you need them to play but one guy is just a step slow or makes the wrong read everything falls apart and so but I, I do think we we've we went through some tough times there's no question about it uh, but I think we've we've crossed that bridge I think you look at the way we played um, in probably the latter half of last year I felt there was much less technical work being done because we have it's finally shifted to new habits were formed um, and I think the younger players have a much easier time because they've played for multiple coaches, multiple teams, whether they were in college, then they went to the American League, new coach, new coach, new coach. So they come to Chicago. Okay, you want us to play that way? Oh, yeah, we played that way a couple of years ago. No problem. But we just had a few guys who, for them, it was like they were trying. They weren't trying to, to be difficult. It just wasn't happening for them. The habits weren't there. But I think we've – I think we've moved past that. I, I don't see that being a big obstacle going forward. Um, certainly not like it was for the first year. Do, do you see this as uh, when you look at the ice time, I guess, even in the playoffs, you know, Keith had 26 plus minutes and Taves and Kane are still leading in ice time. Do you see this as that you guys need to devote more time to those ice time that the other guys or the younger guys need to start at for you guys to be successful down the road that it's, them taking over those roles and then the ice time being a little bit more even going forward? Yeah, well, I think we saw it, though. There were games in the playoffs when Kirby had more ice time than anybody. Um, you know, I, so maybe it wasn't the entire playoff round, but I think I remember looking at several of those games. He had more more minutes than anybody. It helped that he was on the top power play and he was killing penalties, too. So I think that's where a lot of the minutes come is the special teams. So if you look at the five-on-five five minutes, um, there, there may have been more even distribution, but the guys you mentioned, they all play on the top power play and top penalty kill. Uh, well, I guess Kane doesn't, but um, so yes, I think we, we need to transition at some point, whether it's going to be the start of next year or the middle of the year or the following year, we need, we need Kirby to take a step forward and, and get more opportunity. But I think we already saw that in his case. I think Boquist is probably the next candidate to take, more minutes. I think part of that will be power play though. I think we'd like to get him. He had some opportunities last year, um, but you know, he didn't, but he didn't play on the power play in the, in the playoffs. I think that's something that we envision him being on it. Um, and you know, that'll give him some more minutes. So, you know, I think that was one of the reasons dunk minutes were so high is that he was eating up most of the power play minutes. So, it's not to say Dunk won't be on the power play ever or he won't be on the top power play. He may be. Um, but I think in time we want to get Adam. You know, that, that's a role that I think his skill set is, is well suited for over the next year to year and a half. I'm sure Scott and I could spend all day here peppering you with questions, but it's been a solid hour. Uh, we appreciate the time. Um, we welcome this new age of, uh, of open dialogue and hopefully we can do it again soon. It's been fun. It's been enlightening. Um, uh, we appreciate your time, Stan, uh, and your insight, as always. Yeah, well, I, I look forward to it as well, Mark and Scott. Thanks for the time, and hopefully we can uh, we can keep talking more often. All right, thanks. This has been Laz and Powers, an athletic podcast. I can help even just a little bit. Won't you let me try?